Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you to all you mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and mother figures for all that you have done in our lives. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Proverbs 23. We'll be in Proverbs 23, 22 to 25 this morning. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, uh, thank you for those mothers and grandmothers, great-grandmothers, mentor mothers that have guided us and nurtured us, spent themselves on our behalf. We are thankful. And we ask, Father, that they would feel your good pleasure Father, we ask that as we look at your inspired and errant word, that as James says, we will not be hearers of the word only, but doers as well, and that you would take your word and apply it rightly to our hearts, change us and transform us. Father, we thank you that you give us scripture that we might know you Know your will for our lives, what we ought to do, how we ought to live. May we imitate your inspired word well. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. As I thought about Mother's Day, I thought I would share an abridged version of the book Gifted Hands. I suspect a number of you have read it. Gifted Hands was written by Dr. Ben Carson. You may know him. At age 33, he was the head of pediatric neurosurgery at John Hopkins Hospital. Not a small accomplishment. You also may know that he was the first person to ever figure out how to separate co-joined babies when they came out of the womb so that both children might live. What you may or may not know, it depends on if you read the book or not, a little bit about his history. His mother was Sanya. Sanya, if you can imagine this in the United States, not that many years ago, at age 13 was forced to marry a much older man. I'm embarrassed to tell you that she married a pastor, a crummy one at that. Together they had two sons, and soon after the birth of the two sons, this father abandoned his children, and he abandoned his wife. That left Sonia in a very difficult neighborhood in Detroit, to raise these two boys. She had only gone to school partway through third grade, and yet she wanted better for her sons. She introduced them to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. She insisted that her boys read the Bible each and every day. She wanted them to excel at school, but early on the boys did not. 
They didn't like school. They thought it was a waste of time. And so Sonia did two things. She got on her knees and daily prayed for those boys that the direction of their life would change. And she also laid down the law a little bit. She said, there will be no TV in our house until after you read two books every week. Not only are you each going to read two books, but you are going to write a report on each book and you're going to give the report to me. And so every week, Sonia got four books or book reports to read. If you read the book, Gifted Hands, you know the punchline. Sonia's illiterate. But her boys didn't figure that out for a number of years. <laughs> and so every week she would get four reports, two from each of them, and she would try and give them feedback. I don't know how she did that, because she herself could not read. And yet these boys pressed on. She sought a better life. She sought a God-centered life. In 2014, a little before Ben Carson got into politics, which would hurt popularity no matter what party you're a part of, before he formally got into politics, in 2014 in the Gallup poll, he was chosen as the sixth most influential person in the world. Now, we would know that to be the Western world. That's pretty good. That's pretty good for a guy who grew up in the wrong side of the neighborhoods with an illiterate mother forced to marry at age 13 with an absentee father. And yet, if you read the book, he doesn't credit Yale University. He doesn't credit... Michigan Medical School for shaping his life. He credits the Lord, he credits the Bible, and he credits his mother, Sonia. Sonia, mom, is the one that helped earthly-wise shape this man to be what he became. Today is Mother's Day. Some of you women, many of you women, have shaped lots of lives. Thank you. And continue to shape lives. Well, today's text is about shaping lives. It's about a third or two-thirds of the way through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verses 22 to 25. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old, buy truth, do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. When I look out at an audience like this, I know that several things are true. I know that some of you were very fortunate. You grew up in God-centered, loving homes. Homes in which Christ was the center and things pointed to Christ and your parents nurtured you. What a blessing. Make sure you thank mom and dad. 
Some of you grew up in homes that were devoid of God, but your parents were incredibly loving. You also are blessed, and even more so that you've now been introduced to Christ. Make sure you thank mom and dad. Some of you grew up in homes that were devoid of God, were devoid of nurturing parents, and it has been very difficult in your life. And to you, I would say, break the pattern. Create a new pattern. In fact, for all of us, we want to set an example that will be easy for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren to want to imitate. You remember what Paul said? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's the model you and I want to set for the next generation or two. And so whatever box you're in, maybe one of those three, maybe you would create a fourth. The goal is that you and I would live Christ before the next generation, that we would be easy to honor, that we would be easy to have the next generation say, I want to be like that. Oh, they've made some mistakes. I want to ignore those, but I want to go down that path. That's the goal for all of us. Notice that the text says, listen to your father. Do not despise your mother. Now, the first is rather easy. Listen. We know what that means. It means adhere to what is being taught. Learn from it. Imitate it if it's wise. But the phrase do not despise is actually a euphemism that also means listen. So without being redundant in the text... The author is really saying, listen to father, listen to mother, and buy wisdom, buy instruction. It's kind of a curious phrase, isn't it? Buy wisdom, buy instruction. What exactly does that mean? That means that it's more than just knowledge. Knowledge is what we get when we go to Barnes and Noble and we read a book. Knowledge is what we get when we go to the university. Nothing wrong with knowledge. We all need knowledge. We ought to be self-feeders. But knowledge doesn't guarantee wisdom. Wisdom, biblically speaking, is taking knowledge and applying it to our lives in a God-centered way. There are lots of people who have knowledge who have absolutely no wisdom. We all know a few of them. We might be sitting next to one of them. Oh, not you, but somebody else, right? Knowledge is not what we're pursuing here. We're pursuing wisdom, applying knowledge in a God-centered way to how you and I live out our lives. We're to buy wisdom. The day I was writing the sermon, I had a young man come into my office for counseling. I counseled him a number of times. You can't guess who he is, so don't even try. He doesn't attend Highland. If he did, I wouldn't use the illustration. This particular guy comes into my office, and we talk for a while, and, and we always start the same way. I always start with prayer, and then I say, 
Tell me how your marriage is going. Tell me how your parenting is going. And from that, then we begin to find some wisdom to help him to take the next steps. And the goal, I hope, is that he would buy some wisdom. He would see out of Scripture what he ought to do and how he ought to do it. On this particular day, we tackled three things. First, financial wisdom. One of the strains in this particular family's life is that they are living on 88% of their income because 12% of their income is actually paying off interest, has nothing to do with a mortgage, most of it is credit card debt. Now, if Mama Hines were here, she would drop some wisdom on you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what Mama Hines would say, because I've heard it once or maybe two or three or 10, well, never mind. I've heard it a few times. Mama Hines would say this. If you have credit card debt and you're not paying off the balance every month, cut up your cards. Then find whatever is the highest interest rate, pay it off quicker, and then the next and the next, and vow never to take another card out unless you will always pay the balance off every single month. The text says, buy wisdom. What does Proverbs 22, 7 say? It says the debtor is the slave to the lender. It's biblical wisdom. Some of us are living in bondage because we have a buy now, pay later mentality. Now, there are a few people who have gotten into very difficult straits. I understand that. But for many with large credit card debts, it's because we won't wait. We have to have it now. And we don't think through how we're handicapping the future of our family or the kingdom. And we have this buy now, pay later. And we become a slave to the lender. And so I would say to this young man, Buy wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge. Knowledge is knowing, Proverbs 22, 7. You become a slave to the lender. That's knowledge. Wisdom is applying that to one's life and changing one's life so that one is making a better, wiser future by the steps one takes. The second thing I would say to this young man as we talked is that they needed new priorities. Now I've talked to him, remember, six or eight different times. And he and his wife are engaged in a lot of good things. In fact, I don't think they're engaged in any bad things, not that I know of. They're engaged in good things to the detriment of the best things. They are. God first, family second, work and all these other things third. They've made work and recreation first. And the children and their walk with the Lord are somewhere down here. And so they're engaging in good things, not the best things. He needs to buy wisdom. They need 
to buy wisdom. It's not enough to know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. That's knowledge. But wisdom is applying it and changing the direction of one's life. And finally, the third thing we talked about that day was I said to him, so we've been meeting for a while. How are you guys going to take steps to make some changes? How are you going to buy wisdom? Enough knowledge. You got more knowledge than you need. How are you going to buy wisdom? He said, oh, I got a plan. I said, oh, good. So you and your wife have been talking about it. He said, no, no, no. I haven't talked to her about it. I got a plan. I said, you've developed a plan that you're going to drop on your wife? Yes, I'm the leader. Oh boy, back to buy wisdom. <laughs> and so I read to him Matthew 20, 25 to 28. This is what leadership looks like according to Jesus. But Jesus called them, it's the disciples, all of them want to be top dog. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be a servant and whoever would be first among you must be a slave. Even as the son of man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think the mantle that he's referring to of leadership is spiritual leadership in the home, which goes back to that second step, actually, making God the priority, which is his job to make sure that's the priority in the home. It's not to make unilateral decisions and to drop them on a spouse. That's a recipe for disaster and pain and maybe irreparable damage. We need to buy wisdom. Buying wisdom is not knowing right from wrong. It's applying right and wrong to one's life. That's wisdom. And that's what we want to pass on to the next generation. That's what ought to have been passed on to us. Now when we learn wisdom from someone else, the benefits is not only that things go better for us, but Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 says this, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may have a longer, I know the text says long, but the Greek text says longer life. What that text is saying is this. When you and I hear instruction, knowledge, and we apply it rightly to our lives, and today that's about honoring, honoring mom and dad, two things will happen. Our life will be better than if we don't do it, and our life will be longer, extended, from what it might have been. God is actually not promising a long life. I wish the translation that I had is a little bit sharper because some very godly people have had short lives. It's actually 
saying that three or four times in Scripture, the Bible says that God ordained our days, but God extends those days for some who honor. Kind of like Hezekiah, the king, he was told, put your papers in order, you're about to die. And it says he turned his face to the wall. He prayed and begged God. And the prophet came back and said, God heard your prayer. He's going to give you 15 more years. He's extending your life. And that's what happens when you and I honor our father and mother. Back to my three original boxes. Box one, you grew up in a godly home in which you were nurtured. Box two, you grew up in a home devoid of God, but you were nurtured well. Box three, you grew up in a home that was neither godly nor nurturing. But you'll know that Ephesians 6, 2, and 3 doesn't say honor your father and mother if they were in box one or two. It doesn't actually say that. It says honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, then you may have an extended life. So how do we handle that, knowing that we grew up in different boxes? Well, it might help to know that honor, tima, doesn't mean affection. There are some parents that have been so difficult, you will not have an affectionate relationship with them. Honor doesn't mean affection. Honor actually doesn't mean that you trust them. There are some parents that have been utterly untrustworthy. Honor doesn't mean that either. The word honor, Tima, means weight. Give weight because of God to the parents he gave you. What does weight mean? In the home... If you're under your mom and dad's roof, weight means that you obey mom and dad as long as mom and dad do not ask you to do something that is moral or ethical in violation of God. If mom and dad ask you to do something unethical or immoral, you appeal to higher law, which is God's law. Isn't that also how we interact with the government? Romans 13, 1 to 7, obey your government. But Acts 4 and 5 says, is it better to obey man or God? And it's always better to obey God. So we obey the government, even when we think they're foolish, as long as they don't ask us to do something immoral or unethical. Every time they ask us to do something immoral or unethical, we appeal to higher law, God's law, and we obey God rather than man. That's Acts 4 and 5. So that's how you honor if you live under one's roof. But what about when you've moved out? You could say, good riddance, done. Except Proverbs 23 says, do not, or listen to your father and do not despise your mother when they are old. In other words, we still have obligations even after we move out. But honor doesn't mean have affection and it doesn't mean trust them. It means give weight. This means that if you have unhonorable, unkind parents, 
but they give you a suggestion, you weigh it. You don't just dismiss it because you don't like them. You weigh it. Now, there's probably a good chance you're going to go 180 degrees in the other direction if they're ungodly. But you still weigh it. Not because they deserve it, but because God requires it. We do it out of love for God, not because of parent. Now, thankfully, I suspect that many here today are in box one and two. So it is easier to honor, to give weight to one's parents. We're speaking of mothers. Think about what a mother has done for you. A mother has, in the prime of her life, carried you for nine months, given nutrients that her body needs into yours. And then if she nurses you, it could be another number of months that the nutrients she needs, she gives to you. Let me make a little parenthetical remark because we're all aware of where we are right now as a nation. And right now as a nation, we are fighting over, it's my body. I have the right to do with my body as I choose. Not only do I theologically disagree with that, but that is scientific nonsense. It's nonsense. Every cell in a mother's body has one DNA. The same DNA, every single cell. The moment a child is conceived, we have introduced a different DNA. And every time those cells divide, it has a unique DNA sequence. Every cell for the mother has one DNA sequence. Every cell for the child has a second unique DNA sequence. The mother is a host, but it is not her body. So that is a nonsense statement that is made. It's, there's no science behind that statement. Only emotion. Only emotion. Because she has a different DNA than the child. So back to what a mother does. A mother nurtures a child, gives nutrients to a child, nine months in the womb and sometimes out of the womb if she nurses. A mother gets up early in the morning and in the middle of the night to feed a child. A mother dotes on a child and changes the child's diaper and praises the child and sings to the child and rocks the child. And the child doesn't even say thank you. And then the child gets to a certain age and starts saying thank you. And then the child gets to a certain age and they stop saying thank you again. <laughs> and then a little bit later, they start saying thank you for the rest of their lives, right? This mother has given a lot. No wonder Paul writes the following in 1 Timothy 5, 4, and 8. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. And then verse eight. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We are called to honor 
because of what the mother has done in our lives. And we ought to fulfill that with joy. But it's more than just providing for them in their golden years. It's also emotionally providing. I think of John in one of his small epistles. He said, there's no greater joy for a father than that his son or his children walk with the Lord. That's really what verses 23 and 24 and 5 say. I'll read 24 and 5. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. You fathers, a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. One of the reasons that we try and live godly lives is not only to be pleasing to the Lord, that's first and foremost. Not only is it wise for us, but it also brings joy to the parents who brought us into the world. That brings joy. However, not every godly home ends up with godly children. That's a fact. I could look out and see some godly parents who grieve because they nurtured that child in the ways of the Lord. And the child has been agnostic or even atheistic, has walked away from the faith. It happens in godly homes. It really does. In fact, Proverbs bears that out. Let me read a couple Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool despises his father's instruction. So the young man has gotten his father's instruction, but he didn't follow it. And he's a fool. Proverbs 10, verse 1. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. It's a parallelism. And it essentially says that instruction has been in the home and some have followed it and that makes mom and dad glad and some have ignored it. And that grieves their heart. Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs is the Hebrew word mashal. Mashal means a general maxim for living. That's what the word proverb means. Mashal, a general maxim for living. It's not a promise. Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he grows old, he will not depart. That's true better than 51% of the time. Maybe 70% of the time, I don't know. But not 100% of the time. And notice what it says. When he grows old. Age 16 is a bad time to evaluate. <laughs> Just saying. Sometimes age 36 is too soon. We don't know what God will do in someone's life. And that's why we're praying and praying and modeling Christ. But to make a proverb a promise is to heap guilt on our shoulders and someone else's. Some came to Christ long after your children were out of the home. You model Christ, you pray, and you see what God's going to do. Some had a very nurturing, very loving, very God-centered home. 
and a child or two or three went their own path. Proverbs tells us that's going to happen. But we pray and we model. If we have some regrets, we confess them before the Lord and then we move on. We don't wallow in guilt. We set an example. We set a model to the best of our ability. I want to close with an illustration. Some of you perhaps ran track or you've gone and watched someone run track and you've seen the four by 100 meters. So four racers will each run 100 meters and they're going to pass the baton. They call it the stick. Cylinder, 12 inches. All you have to do is run fast and hand it to the next person and they run and you win. It's so easy. <laughs> you got to pass that thing three times. It's so easy. So easy that in the 2004 Olympics, the men and women in the United States didn't do well. In the 2008 Olympics, the men and the women in the United States didn't do well. In the 2012 Olympics, the guys lost to Usain Bolt and the Jamaicans and took a silver. And it's not until Rio in the 2016 Olympics that the women take gold. The problem was the stick. They had the legs. They didn't have the baton pass because it takes two people. And you got to do it three times. You got to do it multiple times. And that's what the Bible's calling us to do. To try and pass the spiritual stick. Sometimes we fumble and we confess before the Lord and we try again. Sometimes the next generation fumbles and we pray and we try and model Christ-likeness so that the next time around maybe the pass of the baton is cleaner. Some of you mothers have done an amazing job passing the baton. Thank you. Some of you grandmothers and great-grandmothers have done an amazing job passing the baton. Thank you. Surrogate moms, thank you. Sometimes you fumbled a little bit. That's human. You pick it up and you hand it off again. And sometimes we who are trying to take the baton, we fumble. But you keep modeling. And you keep impacting our lives. That's your calling in life. That's all of our calling in life. To run the race that is set before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. That's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we are blessed by many of the wives, the mothers, the grandmothers, the great-grandmothers, the mother figures who have modeled in our lives. We thank you for them. We ask, Lord, that they truly would feel your grace and your blessing in their lives today. And we pray, Father, that we would see more and more and more of the next generations walking with Christ and that we would pass on our spiritual heritages to the next generations. And Father, we can all have 
so many regrets and we confess our failures, our sin before you. But help us to move forward in your grace, trying to impact the next generation and the generation after that. Lord, we pray that there would be a godly heritage in each of our lives going forward. We thank you for those who have one in the past, but if not, we look forward to one in the future. We ask, Father, that we would buy wisdom, not sell it. That we would not be satisfied with knowledge, but apply it into wisdom. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.